Good morning. Is that a little too loud for you? I mean, it's pink shirt day, so I'm extra excited. I'm just kidding. My name is Keegan. I am the lead pastor here at our Belton location. If this is your first time to Vintage Church, I want to personally say welcome. We're so glad that you joined us to worship this morning. Hope that you got to meet somebody else, a million smiling faces out in the commons as you're walking in. But we truly are honored that you would come and worship with us today. And uh, if you want to get more involved, I'll be at the uh, guest suite immediately after the service, so I'd love to meet you, find out how you did end up here today. So we're in an exciting series called Unbreakable. We're in week six. We've got one more week next week to wrap up this series. And then I'm excited about the Ephesus series. That's going to be uh, some extra stuff that's going to be exciting. Pastor Stephen actually got to go and film some stuff on location. So there's going to be some video elements that's going to be really exciting in that. But before I get to that, I do want to say two things. Number one, for all of our students, we got any students in here? I guess they're still sleeping. Well, tell your students that there's an exciting pool party happening this Wednesday, July 5th from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. over at Greg and Jennifer Forrest's uh, home. They just got a beautiful pool that they, they built, and uh, they're sharing it with people, which is pretty amazing. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I might be a student uh, for one Wednesday night just to go over there and have some fun. But uh, you can register for that with the QR code, but make sure that your students get over there if they're, if they're free Wednesday night. It's going to be a really great time. And uh, thank you again to, to Greg and Jennifer for doing that. Um, that's awesome. And, and that leads me to what I want to say next, which is as I was in worship today, uh, we've got a lot of people traveling uh, and some people out. But, but what I, I was just sitting there amazed at how many people are getting involved and just sharing what God has given them. And, and to see, you know, David up here leading in worship for the first time on a Sunday. And to see Rachel do, uh, be doing our MC spot. And, and, and y'all don't know, Melanie has been running sound for us today. She's never done it before. And she's been stepping up and just helping. And I'm telling you, from, from seeing people in parking to greeting to every aspect, it's so exciting to be a part of a church where people just want to get involved. I say this all the time. This church is not a spectator church. It's not a spectator sport to be a Christian. So we want you to find a way to get involved, get plugged in, because it's so exciting to be a part of seeing what God does in people's lives. And, and I'm telling you, even the littlest ways make a huge difference. And so I just wanted to, to speak to that. And if you're not involved yet, hey, start thinking about it. Because I'm telling you, if you think it's fun to just come to church when you're not involved, wait till you start coming to church and you are involved. It gets really exciting. And then I will say this as well. It's great to see Ben back. He has been out for several weeks doing some training. And uh, he's typically runs sound and does anything else around here that we need. But uh, it is great to see him back with his family this morning. And so all that said, let's get to it this, this morning. We're in week six. For those of you that haven't been a part of the previous five weeks... We are going over the story of Joseph, uh, and there's so much to unpack. There's no way we could have unpacked all of it, but each week we've tried to focus on some of the bigger lessons that can be learned from Joseph's life, from uh, his brothers, a little bit more we're going to learn from today, uh, and how he relates, as this is the first time that he's now seeing his brothers again. But it all started back with this 17-year-old boy getting a couple of dreams and going and sharing these dreams in probably a little bit of a cocky and arrogant way with his brothers and with his family, and that resulted in them getting jealous and resenting him for it, throwing him into a pit, selling him into slavery, and then on and on the story unfolds to where now 
We're picking up the story, and Joseph is second in command only to Pharaoh, the most powerful uh, uh, government or civilization on the planet at this time. And God has raised him up. He's come out of the prison. He's come out of the pit. He's now uh, Pharaoh's right-hand man, and God has set him up to be the solution for this time of famine. And so there were seven great years where there was abundance, probably, you know, they, they weren't growing normal-sized grapes and, and everything. They had extra, and God really blessed them. And now we're in to about the second year of the seven years of famine. And so now people are starting to get hungry. And this is not just a few people. This is like worldwide people are starting to get hungry because of this famine that God spoke about, and it, it's happening. How many of you know you can stock up your pantries pretty good, but, but after two years, guess what? If, if there's nothing more to go get... You're going to get hungry. You're going to start wondering where else you can get food from. Well, Joseph has got the answer in Egypt. And look at this before we get started. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure. Somebody say, be sure. Your sin will find you out. That's right. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. These are, should be sobering scriptures to us. I said this in the first service. Listen, when you do things, when you make decisions, the way you treat people is going to come back to you. And it's not because it's karma, like there's some mystical thing happening in the universe that randomly decides, you know, that, that you did that and so you're going to get this. No, this is godly principle that you reap what you sow. When you sow, the Bible says, when you sow righteousness, you reap life. When you sow unrighteousness, you reap death. Right? That is the way that God has laid it out. And so our actions, how we treat people, whether they're strangers or whether they're our family, it, it's going to come back to us and we're going to reap what we sow. And so David's brothers sowed some seeds when he was 17. And now they're about to reap the harvest of some of those seeds as they re-encounter him. And so we're picking up the story. Genesis 42, you can follow along, says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? In other words, we're hungry, and we know where there's food. Stop playing around. Listen, he went on. I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. Come on, they needed food, right? You can only go so long. You can only fast so long, and then you got to get some food. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. Now, remember, at this point, Benjamin was the second youngest, right? And so... Jacob has already, in his mind, lost Joseph forever. He thinks he's dead, long gone, because that's what the brothers told him. And so he's like, there ain't no way I'm letting y'all take Benjamin, because if something happens, I can't afford Come on, I can't lose another son. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came down and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Come on, the dreams are coming true. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. And before you say, well, why would Joseph do that? That's so ungodly to treat them harshly. No, you're going you're gonna to see the reason why as we get into this this morning. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. These dudes are not honest. We've already seen 
their dealings before. Your servants are not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see the weakness of the land. So at this point in the story, nine years have passed, right? And now Joseph's brothers are coming to him because if they don't get food, at some point they're going to die. They just know it. And so now Joseph, who's no longer the 17-year-old, arrogant, cocky young boy, he's now seasoned. He's now walked with God. He's now learned some humility, right? He's learned how to, how to walk and how to talk, and he's, he's got a humility on him. And everything happened exactly as Joseph had predicted it. The story lies before us in Genesis 42 and 43. I would encourage you to go back and read that in, its full, uh, in the full, uh, fullness of it. The brothers have no idea Joseph is still alive. For all they know, he's been long dead, right? Once they sold him into slavery, they just washed their hands of it, probably uh, certainly didn't talk about it around dad, but they probably didn't talk about it much around themselves either because you know that guilt probably was eating at them because, come on, have you ever done something wrong and even though nobody else saw it, you know, right? You know deep down in your heart, it still gnaws at you. That, that is if you have a conscience, but if you don't have a conscience, maybe, maybe you don't care. But there's this question that hangs in the air. Some people are bothered that Joseph doesn't immediately identify himself to his brothers. They feel that this trickery was needlessly painful. A lot of people have this completely unbiblical understanding of forgiveness. But here's the truth. Forgiveness is about your heart, but reconciliation is about theirs. And so Joseph, coming back into context in, in seeing his brothers, he's been hurt by them before. And although he's forgiven them, Right? We don't see any trace of bitterness or resentfulness or Joseph just wanting to write his brothers off and never have anything to do with them. But, but he's been hurt by them, and, and he's smart enough to know, before I just tell them who I am and jump back into this relationship, let me make sure that they've actually changed, and I'm not going to allow them to hurt me again in the same way. Do you know that that's okay? Right? If people have hurt us, and they continue to hurt us over and over and to, and to mistreat us, do you know you don't... You don't have to just stay in relationship with people like that. You don't have to allow people just to continue to hurt you over and over and over again. Some of y'all are looking at me like, I'm not so sure. Listen, you do have to forgive them, but that doesn't mean you got to allow people to continue to hurt you. I was uh, thinking of my father-in-law who runs a ministry called Teen Challenge up in Fort Worth area, and they help women who have... Uh, had substance abuse issues and, and other things. And, and a lot of times in, in their lives, because of their choices, some, one of the consequences is that they, they no longer have their children um, and that others have to take care of their children. And, but one of the beautiful things that happens is as they go through this, this program and God restores their life, many of them get to, this, to the place where they, they're allowed to, to get their children back. And it's this beautiful story of reconciliation. But, but the authorities know that we're not giving these children back to you until you've proven that you're no longer going to hurt them, right? That's a good thing because it's not fair for those children to, to be subjected to somebody continually hurting them. And so Joseph, his, his antennas are up a little bit. He's not, he's not stupid. He's not just going to let them back into, as much as he wants to be restored in the relationship, he's not just going to let them run right back through the door and uh, continue to treat him the same way. And so he has these tests. Why? Why did Joseph test his brothers? Number one, he remembered the dream. He isn't 17 anymore, and he knows more about God. He knew that the dream was real, and he wasn't going to charge in blindly or emotionally. He wasn't that impetuous young man. He was a mature leader and a ruler now. So he remembered the dream, and he wants to test them to see 
where their heart is at. Joseph wanted to make sure they had changed. Come on, that's a good thing. You know that God does that with us. Come on, have you ever been in that situation where you know, you know, things aren't going well and you're like, God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll go to church next week and the rest of my life. And about two weeks into it, you go and then next thing you know, we don't see you for six months. Come on, that, we, we do this a lot of times where we want to just make these quick promises to God, but we, we're not ready to actually follow through on them. Right? The only way you know somebody's changed is if you see the fruit of their life being different. So if they say, I, I, I'm going to stop you know, lying to you, Mom. I'm going to stop lying to you, Dad. And then they keep lying to you, then guess what? They haven't truly repented. They haven't truly changed. Right? To repent, the Bible says, it literally means to turn 180. To turn 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. Do the opposite of what you were doing. That's what real repentance is. And so Joseph wanted to see but I'm sure he had these questions. Do they still hate me? Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know if they've been continually harboring this in their heart. Will they own up to their treachery? Have they truly repented? Do they even want me in the family again? I mean, he's secure in his relationship with God, but he longs to be restored and be a part of his family, just like we all do. Uh, do they even want me to be a part of their family? And number three, Joseph desired reconciliation. He wants this, believe me, he wants this more than anything else in his life. But he knows that it's not possible unless they've truly changed. Right? You can't, in a relationship, there's always at least two parties involved. And so one can want it as much as they possibly can, but if the other person isn't going to hold up their end of the relationship, guess what? It doesn't work. And so here's Joseph. He's ready and he's willing to jump back into this and to be restored to his family, but he's got to make sure that his family is ready for him. Genesis 42, 13. But they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Excuse me. The youngest is now with our father and one is no longer living. Then Joseph said to them, I have spoken. You are spies. This is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother, Benjamin, comes here. Send one from among you to get your brother. The rest of you will be in prison so that your words can be tested to see if they are true. If they are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. So he tells them flat out, I'm going to test you. And so they talk about sending Simeon back to go get Benjamin. And the rest of them are going to sit in prison. Now their prison sentence is like three days. Joseph's was, was years and so it's a small, even fraction of the experience that he had. He's going to allow them to experience to be tested a little bit. Because he wants to know, are they lying or not? Joseph doesn't know if Benjamin's still alive. He won't know until he sees him. Right? And so he's got to find out, are they really being honest with me? So let's look at, this is what God does. He tests us as well. And I'm going to give you six tests of our character that God uh, wants to test us in. The humility test is the first one. In this story... The brothers and the father, they've now lost uh, wealth and, and prosperity, and they're, they're down to where they, they need food just to live. And so there's a test of humility. Will, will they go and ask for help? Will they travel from Canaan to Egypt, the place they don't want to be, the place they don't want to go, to ask for the help that they actually need? It takes humility to admit that you need help and to ask for it, right? People can be proud on both sides of the spectrum, though. You can have people who who have nothing and they, and they really need, but they're, they're too proud to ask for help. 
because they won't humble themselves. And then you have people who have more than enough, right? And they, they, their pride is in that they don't need anybody and they don't need anything, so they think. But God wants us to walk humbly and he'll test us. He'll test you whether you're, whether you're at the, the low place in your life or whether you have just gotten all of it. Some of the greatest tests actually come when we've stepped into the fullness of things that God has promised to us. Will you still stay humble and acknowledge that it wasn't your effort that got you there? It was God and his plan for your life. The loss of prosperity strips them of their self-sufficiency. Come on, we can't go to God if we think that we're sufficient in and of ourselves. It just doesn't work. Number two, the authority test. How will they respond to Joseph's authority? He is now second in command. And are they going to bow up and just, well, I don't like the way you're, you know, saying we're going to have to go through a test. And I don't like the way you're doing this. And I don't. Or are they going to respect and honor his authority? Because if they don't, guess what? They're going home without food. And who knows how many days they'll have left. But the authority test. There's a lot of us in here. Listen, God will bring all of us to the place of having an authority test. You know, how do you treat your boss? Do you, do you just do what he tells you or she tells you, but in your heart, you're, you're, you're bitter? And you're really, you know, I'm obeying on the outside, but on the inside, I'm not. Come on, what, what do we do when we see our kids act like that? It's like, well, no, I'm not looking just for your outward obedience. I'm looking for you to have a heart that wants to obey. And God will test us with this. This next test, I hope none of you have to face, the prison test. <laughs> Third, this is the three days the brothers spent in prison. Would it embitter them or change them? Would they do the right thing or not? Remember when Joseph got thrown into prison, even for something that wasn't his fault, he still responded in the right way. He still kept honoring God. He still kept ministering to the people in prison, right, to the point where they even put him in charge of it. Joseph stayed faithful. He kept doing what God told him to do. And, and there's times... I said this also in the first service. Listen, if, if your choices lead you to where you got to literally go to jail or go to prison for a bit, listen, God may allow that in your life to get you to wake up and turn to him. I don't think God wishes for any of us to be in prison. But, but if we end up there, listen, let that be a moment where we can say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Instead of just shaking our fists at, how could you throw me in jail? How could you allow this? Well, choices have consequences. You know, there's people that, I was just literally talking to somebody out in the commons about after the first service, they said, you know, we've got a family member who is, is dealing with this. Like their consequences of them and, and their actions have led them to being in prison. And they're, they're mad at God about it. And, and they're trying to help them understand, listen, sometimes God, when he, in his mercy, will, will not have us, you know, he'll cancel a consequence, so to speak. But there's other times, more often, that the consequence is still going to play out, but God will be with us as we go through it. And so we just got to understand that as Christians, we don't just get a, well, I can do whatever, and whatever the consequence is, you know, I'm, I'm, people pray, you know, speeding 95 down the highway, get pulled over. Oh, Lord, how come I, how did I get a ticket? What do you mean, how'd you get a ticket? You're driving 95, <laughs> and the cop pulled you over and gave you a ticket. And you don't just get out of that just because you love Jesus. No, Jesus tells you to obey the law and obey the speed limit. Anyway, I'll move on. The family test. There's the breaking up of the family as Simeon is left behind in Egypt. Uh, keeping Simeon in Egypt reminds them of how the family was divided by their treachery. 
See, they've not yet experienced until this moment anyone separating any part of their family aside from what they did to Joseph. And what are you going to do in that moment? You know, what are you going to do when you see separation in your family? How are you going to, to handle that? How are you going to mitigate that and manage that? Are you going to trust God to help bring restoration and bring reconciliation? Uh, the honesty test, number five. There is a demand to bring Benjamin back to Egypt. He wants to know that they weren't lying about Benjamin. Listen, God will test us in this all day long. Are we being honest, first and foremost, with him? And I tell young guys, especially married guys, it's always best to be honest. Because I'm going to tell you right now, God will tell your wife. <laughs> he will tell her. I'm just telling you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The women have intuition. Guess what? I, they got like the, you know, the old school like bat phone, direct line to heaven where God will tell them like, they just know, right? They just know when something's off or when something's up or when something, you know, I'm telling you kids as well, listen, your parents know, God tells them. God tells them. And guess what? You're going to be glad when you have kids that God tells you as well. But if you're seeking God, guess what? He's going to show you things. Why? Because nothing kept in darkness is good. Bring it out into the light. You'll walk freer, you'll walk lighter, you'll walk happier. Your relationships will thrive. Nothing can happen when it's just kept in the dark. And so Joseph's wanting to know, before I even put my trust in these guys again, I got to know that they're being honest with me. And so he tests them in that. And lastly, the greed test. There's the strange case of the returned money. The returned money forces them to admit their guilt to each other. So you want to see if they were greedy, if they would own up to this money and, and, or just act like, oh, yeah, we already paid it. I don't know what you're talking about. That was, you know, we already gave you what we were supposed to give you. No, he's testing them to see if they're going to be greedy. And I don't know about you, but I can't stand greedy people. Who likes, who likes greedy people? No one. Right? No one wants to be around people that just constantly want to take and take and take and they never want to give. And I can just tell you, being a taker is exhausting. It's exhausting. It's way more fun and way more freeing and way more life-giving to just give. And the Bible says that, that when you give, that God will give even more to you. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about in every aspect of life. We cannot out-give God. Right? So he wanted to test to see if they were greedy. But after these tests, there's five turning points of reconciliation. This is what Joseph was looking for in the point of these tests. And, and, and before I get into that, I'm just going to tell you, you've got to embrace God's testing in your life. You've got to. There's no point in fighting it. The best thing to do is to allow God to test us and ask him what the test is about. I mean, you will go around the same mountain over and over and over again until you understand what it is God is trying to teach you or do in you or do through you. Because ultimately, why do we take tests? Tests are made not to just point out the things that we don't know so we can be condemned and ridiculed for it. No, God tests us to see what is in us, what, has, uh, what we have uh, grown in, what more like him we've become. Right? God shows us the things in our lives so that we can grow and become more like him, which is the ultimate end goal for every believer, to become more like Christ. That's it. It's not to, to, to get a bunch of stuff this side of heaven. It's not just to get to heaven. The ultimate goal of being a believer is to die to ourselves more and more every day and become more and more like Christ. That changes everything. 
changes our relationships, changes our churches, changes our workplaces, our society as a whole. That is what we're after. And so it starts with this, five turning points of reconciliation. The first one is the confession of sin. Come on, even the world knows you can't quit it until you admit it, right? The first step is to not be in denial. We got to own the fact that we're sinners and that we blow it, that we miss the mark. And here's the thing, even if you're trying not to admit it, all the people around you can still see it. You're not fooling anyone, right? People see it when we make mistakes, when we blow it. I said this in the, well, let me read the scripture first. Genesis 42, 21. They said, they uh, then said to each other, obviously we're being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why trouble has come upon us. Remember when they threw him in that pit, they went on and just were eating a meal and hanging out and he's literally crying out for his life, scared, and they completely ignored it. And so they're sitting here now realizing we did something wrong. This is the first time you hear any, any kind of uh, indication of them acknowledging the fact that they sinned against their brother. Because in the first part of the story, it's like, no, we just did that. We just did what we want to do. And we kept rolling. But no, this is, they're now coming to grips and coming to terms and acknowledging their sin. That's what we've got to do. We've got to admit when we're wrong. Some of us can't say those three words, I was wrong. And that's why your relationships are stuck. That's why you're not moving forward. That's why you're not advancing. We've got to be able to admit it and, and allow God to, to cleanse us from it, to forgive us. Amen? Then there's the cost of sin. Continuing the story in verse 25, Joseph then gave orders to fill their containers with grain, return each man's silver to his sack, and give them provisions for their journey. This order was carried out. They loaded the grain on their donkeys and left there. At the place where they lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver there at the top of his bag. He said to his brothers, my silver has been returned. It's here in my bag. Their hearts sank, trembling. They turned to one another and said, what has God done to us? Verse 28, what is this that God has done to us? They're now realizing there is a cost to their sin. And I'll tell you, I've said this before in in other sermon series, I think towards the beginning of the year. The reason more people aren't lining up to give their life to Christ is because a lot of people don't think that they've actually sinned. They don't actually think they're in need of a savior. They don't actually think that, that sin costs them anything in their life. It does. Sin will ultimately cost you everything if you don't acknowledge it and repent of it and allow God to cleanse you from it. People still need a savior today. And yes, most people are not out there committing heinous crimes and doing all these you know, horrible things we see on TV that some people do. And, and so they honestly think, well, I'm pretty good. You know, I, don't really, I don't really see myself as a sinner. It's not about how you see yourself. It's about how God sees you. Right? And all of us, the Bible said, have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the sin boat together. I was going to say sin ship, but I don't want to swear, and I think my words might trip up on me. <laughs> but we're all in this sin boat together. Right? None of us are disqualified from that. All of us need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so they're finally realizing in this test that, that Joseph's given them that there's going to be a cost. 
to that. And so here's what we're looking for. Number three, the repentance of sin. They've admitted it. They understand the cost. And now they're truly repentive. Look at this. They served him by himself, his brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who were eating with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews since that is detestable to them. They were seated before him in order by age from the firstborn to the youngest. The men looked at each other in astonishment. Portions were served to them from Joseph's table and Benjamin's portion was five times larger than any of theirs. They drank and became drunk with Joseph. I said this in the first service also. I know July 4th is Tuesday. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. <laughs> okay, don't go out there and get, get drunk and whatever. Control yourself. Uh, but here we are. They're finally, uh, they're tested in this in that Joseph is showing favor to Benjamin in the same way that God showed favor to him. And he's wanting to see how his brothers react when they start seeing extra portions on Benjamin's plate. And they're going, yo, I'm still hungry too. Like, where's my second hat? Where, you know, and he's wanting to see, are they going to get jealous of him, of Benjamin, just like they got jealous of Joseph and, and, and mistreat him? He's testing him, but they respond to the test the right way. They don't get jealous. Here's number four, the proof of repentance. Now the banquet's over, and it's time for the brothers to go back to Canaan. Before the brothers leave, Joseph has a steward hide a silver cup in the bag belonging to Benjamin. After the brothers leave, he sends the steward to stop them and accuse them of stealing the silver cup. The brothers deny the accusation with the promise that if any man is found with the silver cup, he will die. But of course... The steward does find the cup in Benjamin's bag. And here's the test. What will they do? Will they just, oh yeah, Benjamin should have never stole that. We said whoever they find it, just kill him. No, they start pleading that, that they, you know, take me instead, right? They start finding ways to not let Benjamin get killed, to not let Benjamin be punished. That's different than how they treated Joseph. With Joseph, they didn't care what happened to him. Matter of fact, they made a, made a profit off of, off of getting rid of him. And in this instance, where they're set up to see how they would treat Benjamin, they respond the right way, and they start fighting for him. They actually start showing their love for him, not just pushing him and leaving him and going on about their business. And here's Judah. says, so if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, if I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt of sinning against you, my father. This was Judah. Judah told his father, listen, I've got to take Benjamin to Egypt because they said if we don't show up with, this, with Benjamin, right, it's not going to go well with us and we won't even get to see him again. See Joseph, that is. And get food. And so Judah told his father, listen, you put it on me. I will take personal responsibility that I will bring Benjamin back. And so this is him pleading. Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. And lastly, the reward of reconciliation. At this point, Joseph doesn't need to hear anything else. The time has come to reveal his true identity. And here it is in Genesis 45. One through three. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. 
when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. See, when he saw the lengths they were willing to go for and go through to not allow any harm to come to Benjamin, he knew they had changed. He saw it. He saw it in their heart. He saw it in their actions, in their words. And now he knows it's, oh, it's okay. I can reveal myself to my brothers. And so as we close, here's five things Joseph says to his brothers. Number one is come near to me. Now, his brothers at this point, they couldn't even respond to him. They're probably like, is this a trick? Because if we get close, is he going to have me killed? Is he going to have me? We, they don't know. But Joseph, now that he knows he can trust them, now that he knows they, they've changed, he says, let's, let's get back together. Come near to me. He says, I am Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Right? There's no way anybody else would have known that this was Joseph except Joseph. And so he's letting them know, it is me. I'm the one you sold. I'm the one you threw in the pit and then sold into slavery. And here I am. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. See, this is so powerful about Joseph. Joseph is not holding anything over their heads. He's not bitter. He's not looking for revenge, even though he could take it like nobody has ever taken revenge before. He's second in command of basically the known world. He could have anything done to, the, to, to his brothers at this point. He could lock them up, throw away the key, and leave them to rot. Or he could have them killed. Anything he wanted to do was in his power to do, and he doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is being restored to his family. All he, that's all he wants. And that's the only thing on his mind. And lastly, he says, hurry and go up to my father. Because it's one thing to be it's one thing to be reunited with your family. It's another to be reunited with your father who thinks you're dead. And just, just like Jesus, he wants us to be reunited together as a family. But more than anything, he wants us to be reunited with him. The story isn't just about having enough food to get through famine. This story is about being restored to re a relationship with your heavenly father. Jacob was destroyed when he lost Joseph. It killed him. Even though he had all these other sons. To lose one broke him. And you got to know that's how God thinks about you. He's not just content with, oh, i got a bunch of people that love me. No, the Bible says that he even, he, he, he's patient to give us time to turn and repent. You want to know why the end of the world hasn't come yet? Because God is patient. Because he's still holding out for the ones who will say yes. If they just hear, that's what this story is ultimately about. Man, it just hit me in a different way, even as I'm talking about it. 
if people just knew how much the lengths God has gone to to know you and to be in relationship with you, they wouldn't run from him. They'd run to him. Let me pray for you this morning. Every week we want to give an opportunity for you to know God. He, he desperately wants to know you. He literally sent his son, his one and only son, to die for your sins, to pay the price so that you could be in relationship with him. No one will ever and has ever done anything more for you than God. And if you don't know him this morning, I want to introduce you to him. And all you've got to do, just like Romans 10, 9, 10 says, believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's it. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you need the gift of salvation that he freely gives you and me. And for those of you that have given your life to Christ before, but honestly, you've just kind of been doing your own thing and, and really God's more of an afterthought at this point. Listen, can I encourage you? Can I provoke you? Can I inspire you to surrender your life fully to him? Give him all of you today. There's nothing greater than knowing God and being with him. So if that's you, if you want to give your life, you want to surrender your life to Christ, or you want to rededicate your life to Christ and get truly serious about your faith and your walk with him, I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand high. Thank you for the hand. No one's looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you. We just want to make sure we can connect with you and help you. We've got a resource you're going to hear about in a moment to just help you get restarted in your walk with Christ or, or for the first time get started on this amazing journey of being a child of God. So if that's you today, I want you to repeat this prayer. We're all going to say this together. I ask you to repeat after me. And if you raise your hand, say this from your heart directly to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for dying for my sin. For making a way for me to be in relationship with you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. That I need your salvation. And I ask you to come into my life. I confess you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And you're alive today. And I choose to surrender my life, my will, my heart, my emotions, my strength, all of who I am to you right here in this moment and for the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. And I just want to pray over the rest of you. Father, thank you for these amazing people, Lord. God, I pray, Father, that relationships would be restored today. God, that there would be reconciliation in every single family that's represented here today. God, that, that as we get right with you and we are in right relationship with you, God, you would teach us how to be in right relationship with our families, with our friends, with, with those that, that you've put us in relationship with, whether it be at work. God, let our relationships bring you glory in how we conduct them. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone has any bitterness in their heart, any resentment, Lord God, any sense of wanting revenge. Lord, I pray you would help us to let it go today. 
Let it go. It's not worth it. And to just trust you to handle every situation by your mighty power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I know I kept you all a little long, but God bless you. I love you. I'll see you again next week.